Welcome to Grand Fraud, the global podcast for fraud and corruption investigators, covering the latest on tech trends, best practices, case studies, and legal analysis in the world of serious fraud investigations. Welcome. My name is Paul Milata. I'm a CFE and the host of this show. This is the second and last episode of my interview with Javier Justo, the 1MDB whistleblower. In the first episode, Javier told me how he started to work in the Swiss banking industry in the 1980s, how he was employed by a company called Petro Saudi, how after leaving that company he had reasons to pass on 220,000 emails to the media, and after the media published the first articles about Petro Saudi and the connection to 1MDB, he was arrested in Thailand. How did that situation develop? Were you let go? What happened? Now I see it as a, as a funny story, even if it was not funny at all at that moment. But you have to see it; otherwise, you don't you you can't live with that. So the next day, the guy said, "Okay, now we go to to Bangkok." So, okay, so they handcuffed me. They were nice enough to put some uh, I don't know a, a, a T-shirt or whatever on my handcuffs just to to be discreet because. Because Samoy Airport is a small one, and I knew pretty much everybody, so we flew to to Bangkok Subarnabhum International Airport, which is a large airport. I was working with these five six policemen, quite friendly with me, and again I was okay. Anyway, just a signature. I'll be back in the evening plane, and when we arrived, walking through these long corridors, at the end I saw a group of people with uh, uniforms. I couldn't see if they were military or police uniforms. And we were heading towards them. I said, this is not for me anyway. But yes, it was for me. So I went there. They gave me to these, to these people. This Thailand, they have more medals. Uh, a simple policeman has more medals than a five-star U.S. general. They escorted me to the exit of the airport. At that time, I was still thinking, wow, this is a lot. But again, when you, when you have been living five years in Thailand or four years for me, you can expect everything. Mm-hmm. So we exited the airport, and there I saw, I don't know, eight, six, ten vans of the of the of the police with people with shotguns. The SWAT team of Thailand, the commandos, uh, special forces, and I was like, wow. So we're really expecting somebody else, the the local Bin Laden or serial killer or whatever. This is not for me. And yes, it was for me. So they put me into a van with four guys around surrounding me with the hand grenades, the shotguns. And we crossed Bangkok and, uh, like a Formula One uh, car. I'll make the story short. That was the beginning of the big story. You were asked to do what in uh, Bangkok? Things developed quite rapidly in the next couple of hours, if I remember correctly. Maybe spend the night at the local police station again. So the next morning I went to the court for apparently uh, the bail. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was escorted all, uh, again with, those, uh, with the SWAT team. To the to the office of the chief of the police of Bangkok, who is probably the number six to ten of the government, and there the guy said, "I'm going to introduce you to a Scotland Yard officer." I said, "Wow!" At that moment, I was starting to realize that something was not uh, really uh, going well. 
So a guy entered the office, he introduced himself as a Scotland Yard officer, telling me that this was an international investigation between Thailand and Malaysia and the UK because uh, it was a UK company, the Prime Minister of uh, Malaysia and, and in Thailand. So it, it made sense at that time. And he wanted me to cooperate with them, to plead guilty, confess things that he was going to, to ask me. And uh, I said, no way, I'm not going to plead guilty of things that I haven't done. I'm not going to write whatever you want me to write. What was he asking you to plead guilty for? It wasn't specific. He was offering me a deal that I had to, to decide uh, in the spot. And I said, no, I'm not pleading guilty of nothing. I haven't done nothing. So there is no way I will plead guilty of anything. And I will not sign anything or I will not confess anything. I haven't done anything. Right. So this is Thailand. If you, if you start signing papers, this is the beginning of the major problems. So I said, no, I said I'm not going to sign anything because I didn't I, because I didn't do anything illegal. And then the nightmare started. So he sent me, and this Paul Finnegan, that's his name, told the, the, the chief of police to send me to prison. So I was I was sent to prison. Uh, they put chains in my ankles, like uh, the, they did it uh, in the 19th or 18th centuries in Europe. And they sent me to the Bangkok prison. I arrive at night. It's, it's a prison. It's a Thai prison. It's not a European prison. That I've never been. But they put you naked. They search you. They, you have to show your intimate parts to be sure that you don't have anything. It's night, so you don't see anything. They, they send you straight to a cell. And uh, you don't sleep because you can't sleep. And you see the reality the next morning. That's when the reality strikes you. It is something that you cannot imagine. You have to live that to, to understand. I was in a cell with 50 people with one hole, a bucket of water, and you had to use that bowl to do whatever your body needs to do and take your shower at the same time. You have 50 people for one hole. The temperature is, you can't, you put 50 bodies inside a cell. The temperature is probably 50 degrees with just one fan. It's dirty. You sleep naked because you can't stand any piece of clothes. It's so hot. You sleep with the feet of the guy next to you in your face. I mean, it's as disgusting as it can, it can be. They let me there for three days. Of I mean, you can go out from, uh, from six in the morning to three in the afternoon without doing nothing. And they made me spend three days there. And after three days, Paul Finnegan came back the same day with Patrick Mahoney. And they again said, the first it was Paul Finnegan said, okay, Xavier, you want to work with us, cooperate, plead guilty, sign whatever I'm going to ask you to, to, to sign, or you, and be home in a few weeks or months, or you will spend nine to 10 years in this cell. So I had no option. I had no choice. Nobody can, again, comprehend what is to live inside the Thai tight prison without being there so i said okay give me the paper give me the pen uh, we have a deal i will write whatever you want and that's what happened for a few weeks i wrote this fake uh, uh, confession where i was incriminating myself i was telling that i was a criminal that i was interested only by money that i stole the data that i was working with the press and the Ma malaysian opposition against a legit prime minister that petrosadi was a great company that the deal was legit and that I was a bad guy. That was pretty much it. You mentioned that Mahoney showed up on the same day as Finnegan. Yeah, absolutely. 
At the police station or no, no, the... In, inside the prison and not inside the visiting center. You have a visiting center in the prison. But in my case, this Paul Kinigan was coming for, for the deposition in the, in the offices of the governor of the prison, the number one of the prison. And Patrick did the same. So Patrick came, he said, Xavier did something wrong. But uh, we're working with Scotland Guard. You don't know the whole story. Cooperate with us. Do whatever Paul wants you to do. Write whatever he wants you to write, and you'll be on for Christmas. Right. I had no options not to believe him. I was interviewed in the offices of the governor of the prison. Even the VIPs of the prison never went there. I was received yeah. there with coffee, some sweets, air conditioning. Uh, the guy was introduced as a Scotland Yard. In, I was 100% convinced that it was a, a real operation. And I'm assuming you didn't have a lawyer present at that meeting, right? No, no, I had no lawyer. Uh, I had the lawyer from the local police of Kosamui, who were crooks. They stole a lot of money. So after that, Patrick Mahoney with Paul Finnegan, the people that sent me to jail, they chose a lawyer for me, a Thai lawyer, and more than that, a Swiss lawyer. So Petrol Saudi was basically paying the lawyer who was supposed to defend you. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. It, but this Swiss lawyer... Uh, I can mention his name, I don't care. I just want him to sue me, but he never did, he will never do because he knows. So it's Maître Onzelin from one of the top uh, Swiss uh, law firms, Lalive, one of the top two uh, law firms of Switzerland. So he was paid more than $200,000. So he came to visit me two times, probably four days, and his only mission was to destroy my image in the press and to, to say and to confirm that Pedro Saudi was a good and legit company. I did all of this, all this confession, all this work with them because they offered me this deal to, to do that and be home before Christmas. I had press conference where I was representing myself. I had to see the Malaysian delegation when I did absolutely the same, to say that I was working with Claire on the opposition, that the files were tampered with, that I was a bad guy, and that Malaysia was the good side of the story. And of course, after I did that, there was no more deal. They disappeared, they let us alone, my wife and I. Meaning you were actually kept in Thailand in prison, right? Yes, they sentenced me for three years for attempted blackmail. You don't go to jail. It's attempt. I mean, I didn't do it. But even if you do attempted black, even if you do blackmail, attempted blackmail is even less than that. But they wanted me in jail for three years because three years was exactly the time needed for the new election in Malaysia to, to occur. That's when you spent another year and a half, right, in Thai prison. I was very lucky. It's strange when you say that, when you spend uh, uh, 547 days. Yeah. Because I was sentenced to three years. They wanted me three years in jail. But sometimes there is good things in the bad, in the bad situation. I had two amnesties. The first one for the 70th anniversary of the coronation of the king. And the second one, because the king died and we are the new king. So he gave another amnesty. So these two amnesties reduced my sentence from three to one year. And, but as I did already for a year and a half, I was uh, released in uh, December 2016. December 2016, your release from the Thai prison. What happened in the meantime on, let's say, the media front? What did Claire do? So the, the first thing that you, you have to know that my wife left Thailand in May 2016. 
When she left, I had more than two years to serve, but Petro Saudi were threatening her that if she went public, if she, if she started speaking about what they did to us, she might be arrested and my son may end it in a Thai orphanage. So the only decision that she had, and I encouraged her to do that, even if it was very painful to me, was for her to leave Thailand and let me there. I told her, hey, I had another two years to serve. I'll do it. If I know that you're safe, if our son is safe, I'll do it. I mean, it's tough, but I can make it. I can't make it if I have to think about your safety on a daily basis. It's tough enough to survive in a Thai prison, but if you have to think about the, the safety of your wife and son, uh, it's impossible. So she left, and that was the turning point. She contacted Claire, and they started a media campaign. At that moment, uh, a little bit earlier, I had the support of the Swiss authorities. So they avoid a lot of bad things. Malaysia wanted me to be extradited to Malaysia, of course. I had the support of the Swiss authorities. I was supposed to be transferred back to Switzerland in, uh, in September 2016 to finish my sentence there because there is a treaty between Thailand and Switzerland like there is with, uh, with Germany and others where you can fit, you serve a part of your sentence and you finish your sentence. So everything was agreed. The, the Thai authorities even confirmed that in the press, in the Thai press, I signed all the papers, the embassy confirmed everything. I was supposed to leave mid-September, but what happened is that a couple of days prior to my transfer to Switzerland, the Prime Minister of Malaysia, Najib Razak, came in to, for an official visit to, to Thailand. And guess what? My transfer was cancelled under some administrative reason. But they couldn't extradite me. There was a, a lot of pressure from the Swiss authorities. Did you also contact any other government authorities other than the Swiss? Uh, my wife was contacted by the FBI. The, the FBI came three times to visit me in prison. For the first time in history, the FBI was denied to interview a prisoner in Thailand. They came two times. The third time they didn't come, they contacted my wife. My wife saw them in uh, uh, so the FBI in Bangkok, so the FBI in in, uh, in London also. The Thai authorities didn't let them uh, interview me. What happened after you were freed? I mean, after December 2016, how did the 1MDB story evolve in 2017 and 2018? So first thing I did when I was released in uh, early 2017, we went on holiday to Spain, spent a few weeks and months just try to, to adapt. After that, we started uh, building a complaint against the uh, criminal complaints against Petro Saudi, Tarek Obaid, Paul Finnegan, Patrick Mahoney. So that's what we did in 2017. It was a huge task because our complaint is a few hundred pages. It's full of evidences, of emails, of call recordings, messages. It, it took a lot of time. I was also interviewed by the Swiss authorities in the case that they have against those people, Tarek Obeid and Patrick Mahoney. That was 2017. It took a lot of energy and time. In 2018, uh, trying to do a living, trying to survive. There were new elections in May 2018. And for the first time in history, the opposition party of Malaysia came into power. Claire and I were seen a little bit as the heroes of this event, even if at the end the real heroes are the people that went to vote. I take some proudness out of it. I must small participant to this achievement. So that was 2018, 2018, 19. We moved, we moved to, to Malaysia. I went there to, to see people, minister, the prime minister. I did a few conferences there. People were very friendly with me. We, we moved there. 
an investigation started in Malaysia in 2018. And of course, it took a while to realize the size of this uh, fraud case. If you would sum it up, what is your best guess today? How large was the damage done by 1MDB to the uh, public funds of Malaysia? So first, I mean, I discovered that 1MDB was just a part of the corruption system. There were other entities, SRCKs. You mean Petrol Saudi was just a little part? No, no. The 1MDB, right? Sovereign Wealth Fund, it's a part of the corruption system. They took so much money. It's it's a klept- it was a kleptocratic government. So right. YMDU was a part of that, but the construction of uh, highways was another part. The 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 everything was corrupted. It was not only one MDB. It was a systemic system of corruption, yeah. because the party in charge of Malaysia was the same since the creation of Malaysia. So the the, the Malaysian anti-corruption uh, authorities were the one that were chosen by them. So there were not not any counterpower. The judges were elected by this uh, system, so there was no 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 real point of fighting corruption in Malaysia. Right. If you think just about one MDB, can you put a number on the uh, fraud volume? Something around ten billion dollars, maybe eight, maybe fourteen. I don't think that as of today they know. Exactly. No, because you have you have you have companies under companies that belong to other companies that at the end belongs to one MDB. So it yeah. roughly it's around ten billion. Right. It compares to the annual public education budget of Malaysia for one year. It's double the amount the uh, public health budget of Malaysia has been for one year, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But these are the consequences of of cases like these. What were the consequences for you? Did you decide to return to Spain? Did you stay in Malaysia for a longer time? How did your family cope? The family coping is is quite okay from time to time. I have to assume the consequences of my actions. I give the data, I give the file, I made this decision, and that put our family into a lot of troubles. Sometimes it's not that easy. Going back to Malaysia, we moved there. We spent two years, no, we spent a year, sorry, because in this part of the world, you can have a new government without election. What happened there? So we moved there. We rented a nice house. We invested a lot of money. One day, the prime minister resigned because he wanted a stronger majority. So he saw that by doing that, he will have more people in his, um, on his side. But that was the opposite. The other side was just waiting for that. The result at the end, the net result, is that the guys that were rejected now it's uh, four years ago, are back in power without, uh, without any kind of vote, just by the, the game of alliances and, uh, and mm-hmm. political uh, friendship. Right. So we, had to, we had to leave immediately. In a, we, le- we left Malaysia in, in 48 hours. We, left, we abandoned everything. We left, pretty much we went back to the point A without, uh, without anything. But in 2020, if I'm not wrong, the former prime minister of Malaysia... Najib Razak was sentenced to a 12-year prison sentence? Yes, he was, he was sentenced to 12 years uh, for a case in the SRC company, another company belonging to the Ministry of Finance. He was sentenced to 12 years with the first court. The, the sentence was confirmed in the appeal court. 
and now he's expecting the ruling for the Supreme Court. I'm quite convinced he will not put a foot in a, in a Malaysian prison. He's, he's still the man in, in charge. The prime minister is, is, I could say, is his puppet. Mr. Najib Razak still has a lot of billions uh, hidden somewhere. Malaysia, you can buy votes. He's very close to the king of, of Malaysia. And for the end of the Ramadan, the king of Malaysia published some uh, pictures of him, his wife, in the presence of Najib Razak and his wife. If that's not a message, I don't know what is the message. Right. Even with this sentencing, I mean, the king has, like in Thailand, the, the right to offer a royal pardon. But let's see for the outcome of the Supreme Court. I could bet Najib Razak becoming the next prime minister with the next uh, general elections. You were not hired by any bank after you returned to Europe. No. Is that still so? It's worse than that. I mean, I don't have a job. I'm, I'm surviving between uh, small uh, jobs, conferences, a couple of uh, consultancies, a uh, job. I've been trying to work for banks. And sometimes uh, they, they were quite kind enough to tell me this kind of uh, reply saying, we admire your bravery. You are a man of integrity, of values. But you are reputational risk. Whatever that means, I don't know. That's the way it is. It doesn't help to be a celebrity uh, to find a job. And worse than that, Switzerland, which at the same time is asking, has been asking for my help as a a witness. I've been to to burn a couple of times in the case that Switzerland has against Petro Saudi to confirm facts, evidences. So they ask my help. They pay my ticket from uh, Valencia Mm -hmm. to to, to Switzerland, but that at the same time, they put me under investigation five years ago for industrial espionage, so that doesn't help. Uh, I never received any formal uh, notice of this, uh, of this uh, under investigation stuff. It was just confirmed to the press five years ago. So yes, it's something that I have to live or to survive with. Would you do it again? A few years ago, probably two years ago, I would have said yes without thinking. Now I will develop this question in two parts. Will you do the same knowing the outcome or will you do the same not knowing the outcome? Without knowing the outcome, yes, because that's who I am. That's what I am. It's me. Uh, If I see a crime, I will intervene, whether it's a financial crime or another crime. The outcome, if if we check as of today, there is only one guy that went to prison, is the messenger. There is only one guy that is bankrupt, is the messenger. There's only one guy that can't find a job. It's the messenger. Those people, Patrick Mahoney, Tarek Bay, Obey, Jolo, Najib Razak, they're still living like nothing has happened, like billionaires. I had my son that a couple of days ago said, Dad, why don't we go to holiday to a nice hotel like before? Because I can't. That's the outcome. Malaysia has the same regime, the same kleptocratic regime as it was defined by the authorities as they had before my, my intervention. So what's the outcome? Right. I did something that I had to do because that's who I am. But I will do it. Of course, I will do it again. Yeah. But when you have to talk to your son who is seven, we can't go on holiday because I did that for this reason. I just have to say we can't. And that's not fair. Yeah. Javier, thank you very much for this discussion today. Usually I'm ending our interviews with the question, if you can suggest one thing or one item that is most effective in fighting fraud fraud and corruption. But I think that in your case, the answer is already clear before I'm asking it. So thank you very much for your time today. Good luck 
I wish you all the best. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. As we're entering the summer break, I have some housekeeping items. If you would like to hear a certain topic or if you would like to suggest a speaker, please send an email to grandfraud at nemexis.de. The email address is also in the footer of this episode. I wish you a happy summer 2022. Try to ignore the crises which are unfolding all over the world, at least for a couple of days. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on the Grand Fraud Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, nemexis.de, and subscribe to this show so you'll never miss an episode.